verse 8 to verse 10 in Romans 13 is our text this evening, and really it's all centered around these words. In verse 9, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This week on the Gospel Coalition website, there was an article that was entitled, I Love My Transgender Child, But I Love Jesus More. It's a very moving article written by Christian parents of an 18-year-old son, a son they had raised for the Lord, and a son who had actually at one time professed faith but drifted further and further away from the faith he professed until eventually, aged 18, he announced to his parents that he was transgender and was transitioning. He also expressed the belief that such a a lifestyle was compatible with Christianity. And this article was really an agonizing narrative of what these poor parents went through. Many are going through, even Christian parents. I want to want to read a fairly lengthy section of it because it sums up so well one of the key elements of our passage this evening. Our son communicated his hope that we'd call him by his new chosen name and pronouns. We knew we couldn't do that. At one point, he said that by not using his preferred name and pronouns, we weren't doing the bare minimum to love him. Hearing that crushed our hearts. But we thought, how could we affirm an identity that ignores God's goodness for him and ignores the goodness of the physical body? How can we ignore that our Son is making Himself central and not Jesus? During one conversation when we said we couldn't use His preferred name and pronouns, He said to us, then I can't guarantee I won't kill myself. He eventually went to His room wailing and weeping profusely. My wife and I were also crying, feeling helpless. Certainly, it'd be easier to simply call him by his preferred name and pronouns. Certainly, it'd be easier to celebrate the things he celebrates. In these moments, it's hard to remember that the change he's asking for will harm him, not only spiritually, but also mentally and physically. I want to put this last paragraph up on the screen because it's so important. When my son thought we hated him, he didn't realize our love for Jesus and for him is greater than he could imagine. The reality is that my wife and I love our son, and we've always wanted to love what he loves because we love him, yet in this we could not affirm him. We couldn't delight in evil. We had to delight in the truth, even if our son felt like our love was actually hatred. 
This, this story illustrates for us one of the most challenging issues we face as Christians in this world. We are often told that we are not loving because we will not affirm people in their sins. We will not call good evil and evil good. And we have these convictions because we believe that there is an unbreakable link between love and law. And that's what this passage brings out to us this evening so clearly, and it will help us in a multitude of relationships where we are being asked to love at the cost of the law, to love by sacrificing God's moral principles. And so, we want to ask a very simple question here, but a very difficult question in some ways. What is it to love our neighbor? What is it to love our neighbor? You know, you often hear people today saying when we talk about Christian doctrine or Christian morals, people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not that kind of Christian, or I'm not into that kind of religion. I'm a, I'm a love-your-neighbor kind of person. I'm a, I'm a Sermon on the Mount kind of Christian. And what I think they're trying to say is, leave the difficult bits aside, the difficult truths and the difficult morals, and let's just do the really easy thing of loving our neighbors as ourselves. As soon as someone says that, I think, have you ever tried to love your neighbor as yourself? There's only one thing more difficult than that, and that's the first commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As we'll see this evening, loving your neighbor as yourself is not lowering the bar. It is extremely challenging, and therefore, Let's look at this passage with the Lord's help this evening. As you know, going through Romans chapters 1 through 11, look at how a person is saved by God's mercies. Chapters 1 to 11, saved by God's mercy alone. And chapter 12 to 16 explain to us how somebody saved by the mercy of God lives out that salvation. He begins that whole section, chapter 12, with this, therefore, I beseech you by the mercies of God that… So, everything we say this evening, it starts with this, saved by the mercy of God. We don't go straight to loving our neighbor as ourselves. We must begin by receiving and trusting in the mercies of God for ourselves, and only because of that, and only by that, can we ever hope to love our neighbor as ourselves. Chapters 12 through 13 is all about how God's mercies transform a person. They transform our minds, they transform our bodies, they transform our gifts, they transform our relationships with our enemies, and as we saw last week, our relationship to the government. And here, it's telling us how God's mercies transform our relationship to our neighbor. 
hurts. So, what is it to love our neighbor? Paul says, first of all here, love is a debt. Love is a debt. Look at verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. So here, first of all, he's saying, don't owe anyone anything. Now, some Christians, a very small minority, but some Christians have taken this verse and said, this means no Christian should ever take out a loan or have a credit card or have a mortgage. However, that's to ignore the wider teaching of God's Word. In the sermon notes, which you can get emailed to you, I've listed some verses in both the Old and New Testament that show that lending and taking out loans are approved by God. What He doesn't approve of is charging excessive interest that crushes people, that takes advantage of their poverty. So, when it says, owe no one anything, it can't mean never take out a loan, never take out a credit card, never have a massive mortgage, though, of course, we'd all love to be in that position. We've got to look at the context here. And if you look back, you'll see it says in verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. So, it's all about paying our taxes, paying our bills on time and in full, so that we are not unnecessarily in debt to others. And therefore, when it says, owe no one anything, it's not a prohibition on all debt. It's a prohibition on not paying our debts in a timely way or in full, not paying our debts, not paying wages to our employees as they have earned. It's about paying our bills on time, paying our taxes on time, paying our debts on time. All these things are to have a limited amount of time. We are to be in debt. We are to owe for a short time. But then he says, here's what you should owe. Owe no one anything except to love each other. In other words, taxes, bills, debts, wages have to be paid and we're done with them. But loving one another, we always owe that. That's a, that's a debt that we will always have to pay. This isn't something like taxes, wages, debts, bills that we paid and they're done. No, at no point does it ever happen that a Christian says, well, I've paid enough love to my neighbor. I've paid enough love to my fellow Christian. Uh, Dave Ramsey speaks of the debt-free scream. The Christian never gets to the love-free scream. He never is able to say, well, you know, I paid a lot of love out to this person, and so I, I'm, not, I'm not giving them any more. No. Here, the Lord tells us we're to keep indebted to others. We're to keep owing others love. That never comes to an end. We never get paid in full written over that. 
You can't pay love down until there's nothing left. But how is love a debt? Surely, surely love is an option, not an obligation. It's something you, you choose to do rather than something you are commanded to do. It's something that we are obliged to give, because that's what owing debt implies, doesn't it? Well, we get a clue to this when we go back to the beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 1, which we looked at many, many months ago. And in verse 14, Paul uses the same word when he says, I am under obligation or I am indebted to both the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. How? How was Paul indebted to the Greeks and the barbarians? Did, did, did he take a loan from them that he had to pay back? Of course not. So, how is he saying he feels this obligation, this debt that he owes them? Well, he explains in the next verse, so, because of that obligation, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So, he's saying, I owe you the gospel. And, and here is how we love others best and most and first, with the gospel. And, and it, it's a debt to us because Jesus paid it all, all to Him we owe. Jesus paid all our debts if we are believers in Him. He wiped the slate clean, and more than that, He deposited His priceless righteousness in our account. And, and we feel an amazing, incredible debt to the Lord, don't we, for doing this, that we can never pay. And therefore, Jesus is basically telling us, see that sense of indebtedness to me that you feel and you can never pay? I want you to turn it around, and I want you to feel obliged, obligated, in debt that you owe the gospel to the world. Owe no one anything except to love each other. This debt, it's not, it's not created because the world has some merit. It's created because of the mercy of Christ. They don't deserve our love, but we didn't deserve Christ's love. So, let's remember from this truth, love is a debt. Christ owed us nothing and yet paid us with everything. He wasn't obliged to us. He wasn't under any obligation to come and pay off the debts of His people, and yet He paid off everything. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Let's celebrate that if we're a believer. He's paid it all.
all my debts. Then secondly, Christ loved us in return for nothing. Therefore, love the world in return for nothing. He's saying we can never pay our debt to Jesus for His love, and therefore pay that love debt to others by bringing them the gospel. John Piper's got a great quote that I think sums this up. The debt of love that we owe to others is paid as the spillover of our love to God. Or you can put it this way, love debt is a lovely debt. You ever heard of a lovely debt before? I haven't. I've never had a lovely debt in my life. Debt is awful. Man, to be free of it forever. And yet this, this love debt, this sense of loving others as a debt, as something we owe, that is the most beautiful debt you could ever have. And so as we, as we go out into the world and we come across our neighbors, wherever they may be, it's not, hmm, I wonder if I'll tell them the gospel. No, I don't think so, not today. Maybe another, maybe never. I don't really like that. I don't really want them to be saved anyway. No, it's not an option. It's a debt. If Jesus has paid off your debts, you are indebted to the world. You're obliged. You're compelled to pay with the gospel. Well, you see, this this makes love sound like a law, doesn't it? Is love not a feeling? Remember Pastor John, John was talking about that this morning? This makes it sound awful legalistic. So, how does the law relate to love and love relate to the law? You hear this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, no one anything but to love one another. It's very lawyerly, isn't it? It's very judicial. How do we relate love to law? Here's how. Love is the law. That's what Paul's telling us here. Love is the law. That's how they relate. Look again at verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. See why Paul's bringing these two things together, things that the world really wants to keep apart? Paul is bringing them together. And he's saying, you want to love? It's all about the law. And he goes on to say, for the commandments, and he, he gives us four out of the six in the second table or tablet of the law dealing with love of neighbor. The four are, are samples. It's not saying the other two are unimportant. He says, you shall not commit adultery. In other words, it, we can love our neighbor by not lusting after them, not tempting them to sin, to impurity, by uh, promoting and protecting their purity. That's a way to love our neighbors. And that includes neighbors online. In other words, pornography is hating your neighbor, your online neighbor. 
it's expressing hatred for them. He says, you shall not do that. You want to love your neighbor? Don't commit adultery in any of its forms. And then he says, you shall not murder. You want to know how to love your neighbor? Don't harm their lives. Um, Don't hurt them in any way. Protect, promote, and defend their lives as much as you can, including their reputation. Then he says, thirdly, you shall not steal. Obviously, we are hating our neighbor if we take from them what is theirs and make it our own. In other words, don't be a lazy worker earning wages for no work. Don't be slow to pay wages to your workers, keeping back what is rightfully theirs. Earn your money honestly. Buy and sell fairly so that both parties walk away happy. You shall not steal. You shall not covet, he says. Don't be jealous of what others have, but rather rejoice in their prosperity. When we see the neighbor with a new car, go and congratulate them. When we see them getting a promotion, don't feel angry and bitter that it wasn't you. And that applies especially if it's somebody at the desk next to you or the conveyor belt next to you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You shall not covet. And then he says, and any other commandment. He says, you can, you can look at the other two commandments at least in the second table of the law, all six. He says, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, of course, the first four that are mainly, primarily to do with loving God are also about loving your neighbor. If you want to love your neighbor, worship God only. If you want to love your neighbor, worship God in the right way. If you want to love your neighbor, use God's name properly. If you want to love your neighbor, keep the Lord's day properly. But definitely these six, five to ten, are primarily about love for neighbor. And he's saying, you know, you go through these commandments, we can sum them all up, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? That's where we come to a screeching halt. Love your neighbor. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that now and again. I I probably can manage once or twice a year to love my neighbor. I I can do some good or not do them harm. I I can tick that box. I can do enough that I can say, at least nominally, I love my neighbor. That is relatively easy for most of us. But here's what is not only hard, but impossible for all of us. Love your neighbor, two little words, as yourself. That's the standard. Now, there are people in the world who don't love themselves, but generally speaking, that is viewed as a disordered psychology some kind of mental illness, somebody who needs help. It's unnatural, it's harmful, and it's dangerous. The vast majority of us, though, man, we are in love with ourselves, aren't we? It's not difficult to love ourselves. 
it's very difficult to love others as ourselves. You, you want a love-your-neighbor religion? You're welcome to it. That's what is your hope of salvation? Have at it. I'm not going down that road. But as an expression of love to God, as a spillover of God's love, yes, definitely. How do we love ourselves? We love ourselves constantly, deeply, sincerely, not shallow, not sporadically, not pretend. Imagine you, you saw your neighbor wearing your skin. Be easier to love, wouldn't it? Because you see yourself. And that's what he's saying to us. See your neighbor as yourself and love them as you love yourself. In thought, in word, and action. And then, then he says in verse 10, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of law. What does fulfill mean? Well, when it's in connection with prophecy, it's saying this event is matched to this prophecy. When this prophecy is fulfilled, these words are matched in the fulfillment. And so it is here when it says love is the fulfilling of the law, it means love matches the law. And the law matches love. That's the connection. It's unbreakable. There is no love that is contrary to the law of God. Whatever you call it, it's not love. We love by keeping the law. Love is made up of obedience to the law. I want to give you a couple of graphics to try and explain this. Here we have a, a sort of pyramid. The four commandments Paul mentioned, and then at the bottom, any other commandment. And at the top, we have love. And, and what Paul is saying is, if you keep these commandments, you are getting to love. You're moving towards love. Love is what they are all working towards. Love is expressed in these laws. Let me give you another one. You all know what a pie chart is. Here we have a love pie chart. And again, we've got these commandments. Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lust, and any other command. And again, Paul's saying love is made up of these slices. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is divided up into these commandments. These commandments brought together equal, make up, produce love. So, first of all, how do I increase my love for my neighbor? Increase your obedience to the law. That's what Paul's saying. We, as these parents, remember, in that article, these parents, they saw that, that they couldn't increase their love for their son by breaking God's law, 
and disobeying his commandments and going against his word. They couldn't do it. If, if love ever contradicts God's law, it's not love. It's hatred. And we see these sayings everywhere, all love is love. That's, an, that's a lie from hell. Only this is love. Only this. In fact, sometimes loving our neighbor may make them feel unloved. You know, as that as a child, you're disciplined. We didn't feel loved when we're being disciplined, did we? And yet, that discipline came from the love of God. These parents were loving their son in these conversations more than they had ever loved him before by telling them the truth, telling him the truth, keeping with God's Word. Number two, increase your obedience. So, increase your love by increasing your obedience to the law. Increase your obedience to the law by the love with which you obey. That's not the main emphasis of this text, the importance of love being the motive. It's more here about love being the expression. But other parts of God's Word certainly teach that it's more than just the acts of obedience that it's motivated by love, accompanied by love. And it, as this text tells us, is the expression of love. Number three, increase the number of your neighbors. Who is my neighbor? Remember the question in the Bible, and Jesus answered basically, anyone in need that you come across in your daily life. So, you have a, you have a family neighbor, you have a house neighbor, you have a work neighbor, you have a church neighbor. You might have neighbors in clubs that you're part of, or teams that you're part of, or hobbies that you're part of. Um, we tend to try and pick and choose who our neighbor is. And, and basically what Paul's saying to us, pick and choose who you wouldn't normally pick and choose. The person, the people who you find especially difficult to love, there's no less obligation to love them. Increase the number of your neighbors to increase your love of neighbors. And then fourthly, increase the number of ways you love your neighbor. Yes, it's, it's bringing crock pots around to them. Yes, it's, it's helping them with, you know, moving things in their yard or their garage. Yeah, it's these things, but it's also telling them the truth. It's also sacrificing yourself for them. It's also serving their needs. It's also confronting sin and maybe also covering sin and forgiving sin. There are many different ways we can love our neighbor. So, in summary here, we can say the law defines love, and love defines the law. What a lot of trouble we would save ourselves if we just remembered that. Don't be bullied by the all love is love crowd. Be guided by the Word of God. So, you ask yourself, how would I like to be loved this week? Well, I would, love, I would love a letter, or I would love somebody to thank me for this, or 
I would love it if somebody would come round and relieve me of the baby, babies for an hour or two. Or I would love it if somebody shared the gospel with me. Or I would love it if somebody gave me a little gift. I'm not speaking of myself. However you would like to be loved this week, that's how you are to love this week. That's what our text is saying. And remember, the greatest way you can love is sharing the gospel with your neighbor. Telling them, look, I, I am obligated, I'm indebted, I'm commanded to love you as myself. I've never done that. I can't ever do that. I'm going to try, but I can't. And even when I try, I get it wrong. Therefore, my hope, dear neighbor, is not my love for you. Expressed in any kind of sacrifice I give for you. My hope of heaven is God's love for me and the sacrifice he gave for my sin. And so, neighbor, I want you to feel loved by me. But above all, I want you to feel loved by God. Seek his love in Jesus Christ. Find his love in Jesus Christ. Realize that neither you or I will ever keep the law. Never. Not the first table or the second. But Jesus did. And therefore, we have hope of heaven through him alone. Amen. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for loving us by grace. And by your Spirit, enable us to love others as a debt, as we would like to be loved and always directed by your law. Amen.